Hi, this is Mandy Griffin. And I'm Katie Swalwell. And welcome to Our Dirty Laundry. Stories of white ladies making a mess of things. And how we need to clean up our act. Hi everybody, welcome to Our Dirty Laundry. We're back with Mandy and Katie. Hi. So glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you too. I know... It's been a couple of weeks and I'm not going to talk about it too much because I will start crying. But um, at the beginning of the month, we got news, really devastating medical news about my dad um, got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And if anyone out there has gone through this, is going through this, my heart is connected to you. I'm sending you so much love. We lost my mom to ovarian cancer almost 20 years ago when I was 24. And so our family has been in a very similar place before and it sucks and I hate it and fuck cancer. And I feel totally comfortable saying that. And Mm. my stepmom, who's wonderful, um, her husband also died of cancer, her first husband, and it just sucks. I hate it. And I'm grateful for the medical care that my dad has access to. Um, he's had really caring, wonderful, knowledgeable doctors, and I wish everybody had access to that. I'm super grateful that my family is near each other and loves each other and is good to each other because that makes things really hard, way harder than they need to be when those things aren't there. Um, yeah. I'm like actually surprised I can talk about this without crying because that has not been the case the last few weeks. But um <laughs> Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like this was something my dad told me when my mom got diagnosed was, you know, none of us have any promised time ever. And Mm -hmm. it, my dad just has maybe more information than some of us have. I don't like that he's uncomfortable or suffering or like all of that I hate, but I could, you know, be in a car accident on the way home. Like none of us have any idea how much time we have left. So we just have to spend our time loving each other and doing right by each other and trying to make the world a better place than we le- we left it. I mean, that's really all we have any control over the quantity yeah. of time we can't. So I don't know what the future holds for us in terms of quantity of time. You know, that just feels very present on my mind. I, the, the stats for pancreatic cancer are shit and mm-hmm. I know that it's like a very grave diagnosis. Um, I also know that people do beat the odds. So we'll, you know, we'll just take each day as it comes. And just anyone who's going through anything like this, it's really hard. I was saying to a friend the other day that I've been, I'd like to think in metaphors. I think anybody listening to this podcast probably knows that I like to think of metaphors, but the, like having someone you love this much, who's, you know, you're, you like, I wouldn't be here without my dad, obviously, you know, and I think my dad Mm -hmm. is just like one of the greatest men who's ever lived. He's wonderful. And to get a diagnosis that's like inoperable stage four really shitty stats cancer that I feel like someone told us like you all are pregnant with a grief baby and Mm -hmm. I don't know when you're going to give birth. I don't know what the gestational period is, but 
a really painful hard labor is coming. And then you're going to live with this grief baby that you have to tend to for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When and you've already been doing that for the past 20 years. As yeah. Is. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. just another one. Yeah. It, I will. Like, I, I think everyone I've talked to who's been really wonderful and supportive, it's like, look, I, there are so many awful, horrible things happening in the world. There are also really wonderful things happening in the world. And so this is like something that's part of that, you know, that it's, there are hard things that so many people are going through. So it's, I'm trying to be grateful for all the things that there are to be grateful for. I'm trying to focus on the joy and time that we do have together. Um, But I'm not going to lie. It's really, really hard. And I cry every day and it's hard to sleep. And I'm taking anti-anxiety meds that are awesome. And I'm grateful for those. I'm eating a pile of chocolate chips in front of me, like, uh, like, like food you give a mouse. It looks like pellets that I'm just snacking on. So, you know, like it just, it sucks. If I honestly, if we, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, but if I really get into why I'm so sad, I definitely will start crying, but there's lots we can be grateful for. My dad's an amazing person who brings so much joy and beauty and wonder to the world. And I'm just, you know, trying to stay focused on being grateful for that. So if anybody's going through this, it sucks. I'm sorry. Um, I hope you have like friends and loved ones and a support system because that helps so much. Anyway, this is yeah. like a downer way to start this yeah. episode for sure. Well, but you know, sometimes that's like that. <laughs> that's why we haven't recorded in the that's last right. couple of weeks because there's just been like, you know, other stuff going on. So anyway, yeah. this, but I honestly have been looking forward to this so much because it's, I don't want to say a distraction, but it's nice to have, like my dad's oncologist said, you know, every day do something good for yourself, do something good for other people, like find joy in each day. And so this to me is like, yeah, I am really excited that we do this together. And I, I'm proud of us doing this together. And it it's nice to have something to feel like I'm contributing to not, not just to help me like do something that it takes my mind off things for a while, but Again, we don't know how much time we have and what do we want our legacies to be and what do we want to contribute to the world? And I hope that some little scrap of my legacy is helping white women be less shitty to each other and to everybody else. Like that would be great. So that's part of it. I don't know. You guys have had your share of stuff too, health wise over the years. And it's just, it sucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just hard. And I feel like we, I think we discussed this, like when your mom was diagnosed, just this hmm. thing that goes on as you get older and your friends get older and these things seem to start happening even more. And, totally. you know, I was heartbroken to hear about your dad. He is such a wonderfully, <laughs> has always been such a wonderfully kind, thoughtful, like present person. And you're right. Like you are yeah. here because of him, obviously, physically, but also just because who you are is a reflection of him and how wonderful he is and your mom, of course. And so it's just heartbreaking. It's terrible. And, um, 
you know, you know, of course, that I love you and I'm thinking about you and your dad all the time. And I'm sure that everyone will understand if we just have to take pauses yeah, here and there for, for all sure. of that. So, for sure. Know. And I love, thank you so much for saying that because that has made me, has brought me so much joy and comfort. People reaching out and just saying, like, your dad is fucking awesome. And he is. Like, anybody who meets him loves him. And he's just one of the most fully alive, interesting people. Like, Border, you know those commercials, like the most interesting man in the world, whatever liquor those <laughs> yeah, are for, the like Dos Equis the Dosakis. Like my dad is not far off from that, honestly. <laughs> so he's like dashing and charming and interesting, and you know, just I, I think he's the best. So I, I really appreciate that you know him and that you have yeah. your own connections. And so thank you, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That's, All right. that's the deal. That's it. So <laughs> that's nice. like, let's talk about white supremacy and shittiness because yeah. that will like be a welcome break a from a look up. fucking cancer. Yeah. yeah and, and this stuff will never end. So oh, know, it's always here no matter how long of a break we take. So always. and we just keep adding on to more and more of the history of shit. So there was something that was giving me a lot of joy and inspiration, though, this week that there is a state senator in Michigan, Mallory McMorrow, I think I'm saying her name right, who you might have seen her video, people listening, that it went viral. It was a response she had to another white woman, state senator, who in a fundraising email, she's a Republican, and I can't remember her last name, Ties, Tees, something like that, T-H-I-E-S, maybe. We'll, we'll do a mini-sode about all of this for sure, but... And we're actually hopefully going to talk to Senator McMorrow would be amazing, but um, we're trying to get in touch with her. So anyway, she gave this so that her her colleague, I suppose, in the state Senate wrote a, an email, a fundraising email that was trying to whip up money for this woman's campaign chest. And in it, she called Senator McMorrow a groomer, you know, like all of this language that the same kinds mm-hmm. of things around Judge Jackson, like, oh, she's a pedophile. She's a groomer. If you vote for her, mm-hmm. you're a pedophile, too. Like that kind of rhetoric. Um, and then said that yeah. Senator McMorrow was wanting eight year olds to feel responsible for slavery, like just nonsense, you know. And it was so refreshing yeah. and inspiring to hear the passion and conviction that Senator McMorrow spoke with in response to this email. And it just, the ethos of it, the spirit of it seems so familiar to me because this was, this is what we're trying to do here. Like she names herself several times as a white, straight, cisgender Christian mom who lives in the suburbs and that she is not here for this and that this, they don't speak for her. And that as someone with all those identities thinks that what they're proposing and passing is atrocious and heinous and awful and needs to stop. And so there's power in that. And I really appreciated Mm -hmm. it. And I, I truly like, I'm going to send this out in the universe, like universe, you owe me a little something (laughs) maybe like, can we talk to her? It's just a pick me up. I don't know. I feel like 2022 could end tomorrow and I would be fine with that this year already. I swear to God. Also, by the way, I am sitting in my basement office that I just found out has mold and they have to come and like redo all the drywall and they have. And of course my office is like nothing but stacks and stacks and stacks of books and papers and tiny little mm-hmm. whatever. And so they have to, I don't know I, if I'm going to do it, if they can do it, that would be awesome. But we have to wipe every single thing down, go through, like rip out all the drywall. It's just, yes. Point being, I am <sighs> manifesting this like 
Can we have this conversation? Because that would be great. Um, anyway, I hope people watch the video, but we'll do a mini soda or something at the very least because it was that yeah. was like yeah, one so talk more kind of it. like happy pushback kind of moment because there has been just so yeah. much other nonsense, always per usual. Anything on your so radar much. or docket that mm. you want to put out there before mm. we learn mm. this history? No, I mean, I think last time we talked, um, Justice Brown had not been confirmed yet. So I was happy to see that that actually happened and that there were, uh, you know, f- few Republicans that actually had some backbone and voted for her. The rest are disgusting. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about that. So, oh, that's all. That's all in the world of politics. Now I'm, now, now I'm like, oh my god, do I have mental brain rot, which is totally possible? Oh, Judge Brown Jackson. I called her Judge Jackson. You called her Judge Brown. I'm sorry. So, oh, Judge Brown Jackson. We Together, we will get her name right. right. Good lord. Um, sweet baby Jesus. My sister actually went to the doctor the other day, and she goes, um, "I think I have brain frog from having COVID." And the doctor's like, say that again. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) She said the doctor like couldn't stop laughing. And she was like, what? She's like, say that again. You have Bane frog. Like nothing could more perfectly describe that situation. So, yeah. Yeah. That's it. That is it. That is kind of how I have felt like preparing for this, um, this episode too so hopefully it will come out in some it sort will. of way that it will it will be sense, great cause... you and you picked up the slack because i know this was supposed to be my turn to teach so i really appreciate you taking that up the last few oh. weeks thank you well yeah and we had i mean i decided to do an issue that i had peripherally brought up talking about yeah. um the other um era stuff and so it kind of relates back to that and it's just kind of closing the loop on discussing that so today we're going to kind of talk about the history of um the pay gap and equal pay um so we're not necessarily going to talk about like shitty white women who were involved in this although i'm sure that there were lots of them (laughs) especially in votes against it Mm -hmm. but more on just focusing on the lens of lens of being critical towards the things that white feminism has championed and i think that equal pay is definitely Mm. one of the um the babies of white feminism Mm. um and the focus just on the capitalistic um aspects of that the like individual perpetual self-improvement aspects of that um and it's like the phrase mm-hmm. that koa beck uses in her book white feminism that i really like is mm-hmm. um that white feminism um takes up the politics of power without questioning them mm-hmm. so it's just trying to fight on the same playing field rather than just reimagining the field or like not uh, yeah, reimagining yeah. the battle or you know like having a different a different fight so, it's like we um, want to be shitty to people too let us right. be as <laughs> like damning and awful yeah that it, that yeah. is a, such a perfect metaphor so if people haven't read yeah. Beck's book that's also another author i hope we get on at some point because it's fantastic yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so just as we're talking about this history, just, I mean, there's a lot of it as we go along that we could always be like, yeah, boo, hiss, women haven't gotten paid and people have obstructed that and blah, 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 blah. But what does this argument 
missing. And I guess that's Mm -hmm. what we can talk about once we wrap up the history is like, where Mm -hmm. do we see what this leaves out and what can we do about that? You know, it makes me Um, think we should have, I wish we had like a scribe to be like, scribe, take these notes. We could take these notes ourselves, but neither of us are that organized. Um, (laughs) But thinking about like the girl boss model that's kind of unraveling right Uh now, like even equal pay, I imagine can still operate within the presumption of capitalism, which this history that we've been learning is very clear that capitalism, colonialism, racism, heterosexism, cisgenderism, like all of those things live together. And so that I I imagine that that's what, what Kobach is saying too, is like, well, if we're not questioning the very arrangements themselves, then it's, we're just kicking the can down the road or we're, Yep. including more people in the capacity to exploit and marginalize other people, which is not success. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things, one of the things I saw somebody say on about had a quote about, you know, seeing a one quote unquote girl boss on the Instagram feed with like her sweatshirt that says equal pay for equal work, which is a sweatshirt, like definitely made by a woman who didn't get paid <laughs> Just, adequately for her work. <laughs> it was probably like Just, a woman was, of color. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, those background things that we're not thinking about when we're just talking about the surface of the history. Which so so much of that reminds me of learning about reproductive rights, too. Like when you were Mm -hmm. saying how as a Mm -hmm. a, like a young feminist coming of age, you're like abortion. How could any like it's this very simple issue. Like, of course, we should have access to it in our bodies, our rights, like our bodies, our decision, you know, all of these things. But you start pushing it and you come at it from a not white feminist lens, the issue gets way more complicated and other things surface as being more fundamentally important or, or maybe not even like more fundamentally important, but as important and just like a denser, thicker nested issue to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. So let's learn about this. So as early, I think at the, as 19 or, 1869 even there had been um you know discussions about equal pay for men and women there was a letter to the editor written in the new york times that questioned why female government employees were not paid the same of males and the author wrote very few persons deny the justice of the principle that equal work should command equal pay without regard to sex of the laborer but it is one thing to acknowledge the right of a principle and quite another to practice it The author noted the U.S. government employed 500 women in the Treasury Department, which Mm -hmm. I thought was pretty amazing. This is 1869. I didn't even know there were 500 people in government, let alone 500 (laughs) women in the Treasury (laughs) Department. I'm being Mm. like, is that a typo? Um, But they made only half as much as their male Mm. colleagues. So the women performing those that same grade of work were making $900 a year while the men were receiving 1800 of Mm. them. And the author said most of them too have families to support being nearly all either widows or orphans Mm. made by the Civil War. Mm. Um, So even that year in 1869, a resolution to ensure equal pay to government employees passed the House of Representatives by 100 votes. And then it did pass the Senate, but it was a watered down version that didn't have much teeth to it. So Mm. this discussion has been going on for a long fucking time. Um, There in 1883, there was um, a strike by the Western Union Telegraph Company. 
um, when communication workers went on strike to ensure equal pay for equal work for male and female employees, among other demands. Um, it was not ultimately successful, but it was an early public demand for fair pay for women. And then in 1911, New York teachers were granted equal pay to that of their male counterparts um, after a long, contentious battle with the Board of Education. And so that was kind of pre, you know, World War um, two times, one and two times. Um, and then at the time of World War One in 1918, there was kind of an acceleration to women being in the workplace mm-hmm. and kind of the... Um, impetus behind getting equal pay got pushed up a bit in that um, history. So in 1918, the United States Employment Service published lists of jobs that were suitable for women in order to encourage men that were in those occupations to switch out of those jobs into jobs that supported the war effort. Hmm. Um, so the assistant director of U.S. Employment Services said in 1918, when the lists have been prepared, it is believed that the force of public opinion and self-respect will prevent any able-bodied man from keeping a position officially designated as woman's work. The decent fellows will get out without delay. The slackers will be forced out. And especially, I think, by the sentiment of women who stand ready to work. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> not necessarily done uh, in the vein of equality. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. <laughs> can you imagine them coming up with these lists? Like, what are these jobs that are women's work? And how should we shame men out of them? <laughs> Oh, totally. And I, I almost uh, think of that, like, what pink office supplies can we buy? Or like, what can we do yeah. to make it whatever? It's so frustrating. It, it makes uh, me I am really already kind of blown away because I didn't know that there were those different movements for it that early on. And I'm now I'm so curious about all those rabbit holes, like, especially around the teachers, knowing that there's teachers on strike right now in different cities or have been, I think some of them are getting resolved, but just that the teachers as activists or organizers and it makes me wonder about who was involved in that and then also what their ethnic and racial identities were like what yeah you know who was behind all of that because if anything we've also learned that even when it is about these broader issues often women of color were central to it and then are the the narratives are race their their contributions right right yeah and then they don't get any of the benefit of it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> even even the victories that are won, that they're largely responsible for, don't end up benefiting them and their communities and families. It's just infuriating. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this same director said that if it shall be necessary to employ women on work ordinarily performed by men, they must be allowed equal pay for equal work. Um, and that was the same argument that happened during World War II um, when more women were working in like ammunition factories and the aircraft industry. And this equal pay idea was championed by both men and women at that time, but not necessarily for like altruistic reasons. Mm-hmm. Most of the concern was that um, men worried that if women were paid less for the same work, then take their management jobs. could dilute, they'd take their jobs or when the men came back to work that have to work at lower wages mm. because if they wanted a job that have to work for the lower wages that women were working for. Oh, sure. So they wanted them yeah. to stay the same. Yeah. Um, huh. So that they could get their jobs back at the same level. So mm. yeah, you know, 
looking out for number one. That's what the U.S. <laughs> is best at. So, <laughs> um, after that time, though, it wasn't until 1944 that Republican Congressman Winifred Stanley from Buffalo, New York, introduced um, a bill called Prohibiting Discrimination in Pay on Account of Sex, which did not pass. Um, I looked up a little bit about her. So she was a white female mm -hmm. from, she was a, um, attorney at the time. And she, there wasn't a lot about her personal views that I could tell, like really where she was coming from on that. Although she, it did say she'd always argued for equal pay thing. And one other note that it mentioned that made me think that maybe she had a little bit more depth to her was that she also was, a, was for repealing the poll tax, mm -hmm. um, in voting. So. But there wasn't a whole lot else that I could find about her. Where was she um, from? Did you you catch her state? Buffalo, she New York. New York. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then in 1947, Secretary of Labor Louis Schwellenbach. Oh, tried good old Louis Schwellenbach. Well, you know Louis <laughs> Schwellenbach um, tried to get an equal pay amendment passed that would apply to the private sector. Um, and he argued there's no sex difference in the food women buy or the rent she pays. Mm. There should be none in her pay envelope. Like, thanks, Lewis. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah. That's great. Um, That's but so it says as, of you that we can start <laughs> using that as an adjective to describe someone who gets it. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah I like it. On. Okay. Um, yeah. But then veterans, you know, were coming back from war. They needed work. Women were expected increasingly to go back to the home mm -hmm. and it just kind of dwindled away mm -hmm. and nothing happened for like the next 20 years, pretty much until we get the Equal Pay Act of 1963. And this is where I, mean, I have to admit that when I was researching this, this is how much I just don't know oh, about all of it. We say that about everything just, always. It's okay. I, I think know. we don't need to feel ashamed. We can just like lean into it. I just it. assumed... Like, I mean, we all know the statistics about pay currently, that they are not equal. And so I kind of assumed that there wasn't anything requiring that they be equal. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that's not true. Hmm. There was there are laws requiring equal pay. It's just that they have there's so many like gray areas, loopholes, difficulties in enforcing them, like no real teeth behind them that. It's helped some. It's not. It's not fair entirely to say that they don't matter at all because the they gap being has the laws. diminished over time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, the laws well, that are. I think present, the the Voting Rights Act is a great example of that. Like it mattered. It did not yeah. solve everything, yeah. and it doesn't. Like having a law on the books doesn't immediately mean everyone who was ill intentioned is suddenly like shame on me. You're mm -hmm. right. I need to be better. And institutions change. Like obviously, it's longer term struggles than that, but it helps to have laws on the books that advocate for what you want to advocate for. It's just not the full-blown end-all be-all solution. Right. Hmm. Right. So there continue to be things to try to improve it, just like there are for voting rights as well, hmm. um, and things that try to set it back. Yeah, just the yeah same. right, right. Um, so the Equal Pay Act of 1963 was actually like an amendment to the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938. Um, but the Equal Pay Act was a law that in part provides that no employer, this is what the code actually says, no employer having employees subject to the provisions of this section shall discriminate with any establishment in which, in which such employees are employed between employees on the basis of sex 
by paying wages to employees in such establishment at a rate less than the rate at which he pays the opposite sex in such skill for equal work on jobs, the performance of which requires skill, effort, responsibility, and which are performed under similar working conditions. Except, and these are the four different areas where there are exceptions, such payment is made pursuant to, one, a seniority system, two, a merit system, three, a system which measures earnings by quantity or quality of production, or four, a differential based on any other factor other than sex. I don't where this can be. <laughs> that last totally one. Totally abused. Like, already I was just like, well, okay, it, it is tricky because I actually do understand why seniority, meritocracy, quantity of work produced, like all those things, you know, like I get it. Again, this is where I call back's point about reimagining what we're even fighting for makes sense because mm-hmm. like, yeah, in it, in the system we have, I actually think seniority actual meritocracy quantity like i get why those things would be put into this but it's so easy to exploit those and to just let your biases or prejudices influence that and then you said the fourth one and it was like okay well that that isn't just a loophole that's like a fucking loop tunnel i mean that's just like a (laughs) massive black hole loop situation yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. and that's basically the one that has been used in, like, all of the cases that have come up since that time. But even things like when you're thinking about a seniority system, like, why in the system that we currently operate in are men usually in more senior positions? Well, that's just it. The sexism and and misogyny and combine that with racism and all sorts of other things, like, it's it's baked into why certain people get promoted. Like, of course, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so frustrating. Yeah. So the next year, then we know also that sex was included in the Civil Rights Act. Oh, we right. Talked about that yes, yes. Extensively. So that was just one year later. And the, this expanded what the EPA had done um, because the, I think in the FLSA, which is the Fair Labor Standards Act, it was not that only covered a certain sector of workers, which did not include professional women. So anyone employed in executive, administrative, professional capacities, um, sales capacities were not covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act. So then we're also not covered by the Equal Pay Act. Mm. Um, and so inclusion of sex in the Civil Rights Act then expanded that to all of those um other professional and other white collar employees as well. But then none of it really had all that much tooth to it. Like we talked about when we were talking about the civil rights act, a lot of people thought the inclusion of sex was just like this fluke thing that, you know, if we remember old Senator Smith tried to throw in there, um, maybe to try to just kill the civil rights act altogether maybe right. not claimed that he didn't want to but or the logic um, white women were using like oh we gotta put white women because we can't have black people having more rights than we do or people of color generally right. yeah yeah so when the civil rights act um went through then there was in order to oversee that part of the act, they created the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and we've talked about this oh, yeah. before too. Um the EEOC, but there were no real enforcement powers for it. Um, they were supposed to just induce compliance by 
persuasion and mediation. <laughs> well, and remember too, some Very of the cases effective. that they they were like, oh yeah, that sounds okay. And the outcome yeah. was like, oh yeah, you could fire a flight attendant if she's pregnant. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Um, so yeah. So, and when they, when it, the first chair that Johnson appointed was Franklin Roosevelt Jr. And when he was asked about, um, did you know there was an FDR Jr. by the way? I don't know. I don't think so. No, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> All right. But apparently there was, and he was the first um, co- chair of this commission. Okay. Um, and he was asked in his first press conference, what about sex? And his response was, don't get me started. I'm all for it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's talk about sex, baby. Franklin D. Roosevelt Jr. That's insane. For real? Yeah. And then yeah. did he just like That's smugly laugh? Like, oh. And then, then everyone just <laughs> chuckles, I'm sure. I just envision like a press room full of a bunch of men smoking cigars and just smoke billowing through it and everyone being like, oh. Oh, you, you, it's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so he maintained um, that the ban on sex discrimination was an inadvertent add on not to be interpreted as strictly as the ban on racial discrimination. Um, then the second, the commission's second director, Herman Edelsberg, um, was the one who referred to the sex provision. Uh, provision as a fluke that was quote conceived out of wedlock these men are something else they are just so funny um and it became known the sex provision became known in washington as the bunny law after a hypothetical case someone put forward um in the first year of the eeoc um where a man was turned down for a job as a bunny in a playboy bunny club (laughs) Apparently was a joke. They're like, oh, we're going to discriminate. Like, say that this is discrimination. This is also where, yeah, oh, my God. Like, my brain was ready to implode anyway. But this is why it's so frustrating. Like, discrimination, absent the power dynamics and context, historical social context in which that law is trying to right wrongs, then gets taken up in these stupid ways that don't make any sense. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, but it, this was also just great. In the first year of the EEOC, there were 8,854 complaints filed. Um, almost a third of them charged gender discrimination. In order to process those complaints, the commission hired the lawyer wife of a staff member. She was a temp. That's all it says. <laughs> they hired a staff member's wife who happened to be a lawyer, gave her a temp pr- position to go through nearly 3,000 charges of gender discrimination in the first year of the EEOC. So this was so like, I mean, this it is super seriously is what you're trying yeah, to say. Yeah, really seriously. Mm-hmm. And this is what led up to like that, the women's conference where um, the women met together and then formed the National Organization of Women with their disgruntlement over the way the EEOC was handling gender-based claims, which basically it wasn't, Mm -hmm. as we see here. Mm -hmm. And so that was their argument, and that's how all of that came to be. Um, But there were two cases in particular that came up, and one um, was the airlines practice. 
um, of laying off female flight attendants or stewardesses, Mm -hmm. as they were called then, Mm -hmm. after they were married, got pregnant or reached a certain age. And they tried to argue that gender qualified as a bona fide occupational qualification. So there were, it's called a BFOQ, where there are some jobs where gender is really like important to fulfill or like non-negotiable is what i hear like no yeah. other like it oh okay like Just you have to be a man or a woman all... to do it Ugh. yeah and the way i mean the so ways they... that this also like reinforces a gender binary and like particular instantiations of each gender like i could just hear my like 2022 brain clicking through all the ways that this is so problematic and i I know we talk about this all the time that like, well, it's 1969 or whatever year this is, but there were non-binary people alive and in mm-hmm. existence who would have been hurt and frustrated by that. They might have used different language than we did. They might have had like, different visibility or, you know, ways to communicate. But of course people existed. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm not here for the like, oh, you're being presentist. Like, well, shittiness is shittiness. Yeah. Whenever you yeah. were around. Yeah. Yeah. Things are not, things are different and not that different all the same. Time. Right. Right. Um, so they said there are some so, jobs like you, you have to be a quote woman in order to, to do that. Do. They were trying to argue this for the airlines. Um, and uh, Senator Griffiths, who was the woman that we talked about that um, worked together to get sex included oh, on the right. Civil Rights Act. Yeah. So when this came up, she said, can any equal employment opportunity commissioner seriously believe that the business of airlines would suffer if all of them hired flight attendants on the basis of their individual qualifications and ability? Do they really think for a one moment that men or women make plane trips for the sole purpose of having a female or male flight attendant serve them lunch or give them an aspirin? If you're trying to run a whorehouse in the sky, get a license, she said. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. In which case, like, even if that's the case, that's still not a ladies only situation. Right. Fine. You know, (laughs) good Lord. Uh huh. Uh -huh. She also addressed. So the other thing was like the newspaper's practice of listing classified help wanted ads by gender. Mm. And she addressed it in the House as well as saying the whole attitude of the EEOC towards discrimination based on sex is specious, negative and arrogant. No one would think the law permitted a newspaper to list help wanted ads under white and colored. Why is it okay to list them under male and female? Although I would think there probably, especially at that time, probably were people who were like, what's wrong with that idea? Good idea. Yeah. Let's do that, too. <laughs> well, why can't and we that wasn't, that? like, outlawed so recently. So, I mean, I appreciate the, you know, like, I, I get where she's coming from, but also, like, oh, yeah, I'm sure there are people who did not see the dissonance that. in that way, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, and, but oh, go ahead. I also think it's like part of her because we know that she was a little bit on that side of like she made the yeah. comments about not leaving white women behind. Right, and so that's right, right. also can be seen in that light of right. like, we're not doing it to black people anymore. And here you are doing it to yeah. women. Yeah. This is unfair to us. Right. You know, us kind of being white women. So I also don't yeah, understand, like, women. if you're arguing like, well, flight attendants have to be women however women is defined in their minds, then I still don't see why that would then imply that we can fire them once they're 30 or like 
once yeah. they get married well, or once they have babies. Like I don't, I don't understand how that all falls together. But yeah, and then that I think came out later in like the whole legal battle over that, which is really that they were just firing women then to keep them from gaining seniority to get higher pay. So Mm-mm-mm. it really mm-hmm. was like an issue of not letting them reach that seniority. Well, and so I they just wanted young, specifically with the, um, like the profession of flight attendants. Honestly, this is another mini set I would be totally willing to do is looking at how women of color, like black and brown women, fought to have those jobs because that was. Like, I don't know the history of that specifically, but it it certainly was not like an inclusive, integrated profession. And um, I'm thinking yeah. of this article I read a couple of years ago. I'm going to have to go through and find what it was. It was some like travel blog kind of a thing, but it was talking about how black and brown flight attendants right now endure so much racist bullshit in their job mm. um, like this year, you know? So honestly, put mm-hmm, that on the list mm-hmm. too of other things that we should look into because that that just it's just so frustrating. And like you said, to just keep in mind that there are these kind of broad sweeping arguments to be made, but not to lose sight of the layers of racism that are embedded in these conversations. And I would think that's one that we should dive into a little bit. So then this is all in the background of like trying to get the Equal Rights Act post or um, passed and ratified and all of that. And then that falls apart. And then all of this just kind of gets kicked around like committees and failed votes for years and years until Mm -hmm. then in 2005, when Hillary Clinton was senator of New York, she introduced the Paycheck Fairness Act which was an act that was proposed to address that um, fourth provision that you laughed at, the differential (laughs) based on any other factor other than sex, Mm -hmm. Um, and was to permit only bona fide factors other than sex that are job-related and serve a legitimate business interest. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was supposed to require that those things... Those other interests were things such as education, training, experience that was not based upon or derived from a sex-based differential. Um, Even though we know that those things themselves can have all sorts of sexism and then other isms, ableism, racism, all that like built into that. Yeah. Yeah. And that those (laughs) factors other than sex must be job related to the position that was in question, must be consistent with business necessity, um, and will not apply if the employee can demonstrate that an alternative employment practice exists that would serve the same business purpose mm. without producing a pay differential. Um, so all sorts of, I, I mean, mean, a lot I, of this is like I legal. get it, but it almost just feels like we're just going to make you dance a little harder to dance around the spirit of this law but you'll still be able to, you mm-hmm. might just have to dance a little harder. Yeah. This is yeah. just another kind of classic well, case. Like just don't be an asshole. Can we just have that be the law? It's four <laughs> words. Period. <Just> quit. <laughs> I liked in one of the websites that I, that I was reading because one of the things that addresses is like um, employees talking about pay in the Yes, workplace. I was actually going to ask you about that. Seems like a place to at least start to even just say, you need to know who's being paid less. Like that. Right. And there's actually there is a law like the National Labor Relations Board Act does prohibit companies from making 
um, policies that don't allow their co their employees to discuss it. And they can get in trouble for having those policies. They mm. can also get in trouble for questioning employees if they've talked mm. to other employees about it and for any sort of retaliation based on that. So it already is part of that law. I don't know if there are certain exemptions because mm. this Paycheck Fairness Act was supposed to strengthen um, people's ability to talk about their pay in the workplace. But from what I can read, like you can talk about your pay in the workplace if people have tried to tell you that you can't. I think that they are wrong. I mean, Google it, but I Googled a lot of things and I asked Josh too, my husband, who is an attorney. Well, wait, you and- also, you were saying something about the websites you were reading about this too. Then I cut yeah. off. So this website was talking about like what can um, what can employees do? And it was basically like, you can talk about this. And mm-hmm. then it said like, well, what can employers do about this issue then? And the first mm-hmm. bullet point was pay your employees fairly. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. End of bulleted list. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, dickheads. Bullet. How about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> bullet one of one. Just do it. Yeah. Just don't be assholes, as you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I've Um, always had, I shouldn't say always, but almost all of my jobs have been publicly funded, you know, like taxpayer funded jobs Mm -hmm. in public universities Mm -hmm. and public K-12 schools. And so your salary is public and you can look it up in a database, like anybody who works in those jobs. But so there's something I think that's valuable about that. And there was also really disturbing patterns of who was paid. Like, so the having to be public was important, but it allowed us to see that those patterns still largely existed and they weren't perfect transparency. And it wasn't anyone trying to be shady, but they just report your base pay. And so there, there were always other kinds of stipends or, grant Mm -hmm. money or Mm -hmm. like you Mm -hmm. took on this extra thing. And so you had this extra money or you got promoted to some, you know, like it, there, Mm -hmm. there are sometimes it was misleading, like exactly how much money someone was taking home. So I am all for that transparency. And I think it's bonkers to work in a corporation where you think you might get fired. If you tell someone how much you get paid, like that should raise all sorts of red flags. I would imagine like if, if, the if only, it is Meredith, the only excuse Paddock, for that is that people are getting screwed over. Totally. That's the only excuse. If anything, wouldn't yeah. you want people to, like, if it were a 100% truly merit-based system or seniority or whatever, then why not be transparent as incentive yeah. to show people, like, look, we all know that these people work super hard and are, like, brilliant at their jobs, and so they're getting paid more than these people who are still figuring things out or whatever the logic is. Again, I actually think all of this is deeply flawed because I wish we didn't live in this kind of system to begin with. Right, But right, right. I, you know, if it's, like, super hush-hush, like, I don't know what what possible good reason yeah. exists except for, like, There's none. it lets us There's be none. shady. Yeah, there is none. I mean, we've <laughs> had that conversation in my in my workplace before. Like, what? There's no reason for lack of transparency. Do you talk about you know, how we, much you get paid at work with people? Well, I mean, all of us are under the same contract as far as PAs and NPs go, oh. so we all have the same um, pay. But it's it becomes an issue when we talk about the fairness of our compensation. Uh-huh in respect to physicians that we work with totally, um, and the market in general yeah, um, and their lack of transparency around, among like how we bill 
versus how we get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay, and to me, that I mean, that's just the argument. Like, it, if it's if it's if something's hidden, it's because you're taking advantage of someone. Period. And if it's hidden, I, there's no other argument. It only maintains power for the owners or the people yep. who hold the capital. Because if workers yep. know what their labor is worth or what what income they're generating and that they're not receiving that, like it's it only empowers the workers to have that information. So yeah. Exactly. There you go. Okay. Well, exactly. Exactly. So um, hmm. this Paycheck Fairness Act has been brought up many times. It's died in committee many times. It was just um, blocked in July of last year by <laughs> filibuster. So it would have gone a straight up and down vote and passed in the Senate uh, where we supposedly have a majority looking at you, man. Democrats. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Where the liberals do, but um, but they the Republicans blocked it by filibuster from even going to vote. So Yay. did they have like a reason why they didn't support it, or, like an ostensible argument? Or their their argument is just that it's not necessary and that it puts more like um just, burden on corporate expansion or whatever. Yeah, yeah, just and more like you know paperwork and because part of it would be that all um workplaces would have to file reports with the eeoc sure of what they were paying people um and they're also saying because this act like i guess you can when you have a lawsuit you can do it for like damages based on the pay that you have missed out on but also there can be punitive damages so mm-hmm. there there can be that's where you get huge settlements out of things mm-hmm. and republicans were trying to say that the law was just being passed to like line the line the pockets of um attorneys who would prosecute these cases sure, and get sure, money sure, from sure. that because mm-hmm. yeah because they're always worried about attorneys making more money yeah sure. that's <laughs> yeah. their concern so all of those people who um, are attorneys making more money who serve yeah. in congress um yeah yeah and and then the like notoriously non-litigious gop um yeah so interesting it really holds water that Do you argument with know them. anything about lily ledbetter i know that i just yeah. know that name is associated with the yes some act Me too. That's and that's it. all that i knew whatsoever and i and i thought that there was more to it and i'm sure there is like in the legalese and all the nuance of it so i did look that up because i'm like then what did that why was the lily ledbetter fa- fair pay act so such a big deal like mm-hmm. if this is already all there and what did it do um ostensibly that this paycheck fairness act has been wanting to do and didn't so anyway right. at least from what i can see so in 2007 um there was a court case Ledber- ledbetter versus Goodyear. So Lily Ledbetter um, worked for Goodyear Tires. And before she was going to retire, she um, brought this case against Goodyear that was saying that she had been paid unfairly. Um, And she initially won the case. And I think she won initially like three million some dollars. But then it was decreased in a subsequent filing because there was a cap on how much you could file for. And so then it went clear down to like 340,000. And then she kept appealing the findings until it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court dismissed her case based solely on the fact that there is in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, a 180-day statute of limitations for filing an equal pay lawsuit. And so 
the Supreme Court ruled that that was 180 days since the discrimination began taking place, which means that she would have had to have known within six months of being hired that she was being discriminated against in order to file the claim. And since this was years after she'd worked there, they said that she couldn't even bring the claim because it the statute of limitations was too long. That's so infuriating. Um, I mean, well, yeah, which just means that like so employees would have to be able to hide. Like another reason for not wanting people to talk about their wages, right. because if you can right. hide exactly. for a longer amount of time that you're being discriminated against, then you can't bring that up. And so the Lilly Ledbetter Fa- <sighs> Fair Pay Act changed, took off that restriction. So there's no longer a 180 days. Oh, what it says okay. now is that that um, that resets with each new paycheck that's affected by the discriminatory action. So you can file 180 days from any paycheck, not from the beginning of your employment. So, so you so couldn't like go back two years after you worked there and hadn't gotten paid, I guess. But if you're still getting paid and file within six months then now that's no longer restricted but that's the only thing that that act changed which i did not know because i wasn't paying attention probably well and even um, then like there still is a statute anyway. of limitations it's just less stringent interesting uh, yeah well yeah so that just brings us up to now which is we have talked about like some of the gaps that we still know exist. You know, right. I think the average um, that's um, the s- statistics that quoted is that women make 83% of what men do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that that is not broken down by race. Um, mm-hmm. There's a great website that we'll post in the show notes for this, but it's for the AAUW. Oh, which yeah. I know mm-hmm. stands for Yep. Something, something, something women. It's about university. Yep. University women. The Association of American University Women or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, So they have a really great website with a whole bunch of rabbit holes about unequal pay. Um, So the, and they break it down by race. They have a whole paper about um, pay Break, broken down by um, race and gen- and um, different socioeconomic factors. But the actual t- statistics are white women are paid 79% of men. Asian mm. women are higher at 87%, but also there's racial stuff in that as well when you look at probably the job markets well, that and women are involved in. That category of Asian is so broad to uh, so as to almost be useless because I was looking at this up a little bit to prep for our conversation today. And I found um, this is the Center for American Progress had quick facts about the gender wage gap. And it talks about this exactly that the nineties, they, they claimed, and this was in 2018. So it might be a little different for the year that you're looking at. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least this is, this might actually, yeah, this, this is 2020. 20, okay. Well, they said 90 cents for Asian women, but that group is so intensely diverse and they said, yeah. for instance, Filipino women earned 83 cents to a white man's dollar. Tongan women earned 75 cents. Nepali women earned 50 cents. Like, it's such mm-hmm. a, it's the same mm-hmm. thing happens with achievement data for schools. Like, if you have this category of Asian, 
sometimes it looks like, oh, Asian students are performing at higher rates than white students. But the moment you disaggregate that group of Asian students, like it looks dramatically different because it's just such Mm. a diverse group. And it's masking the, the specific histories. And like in the U S the, the kind of visa requirements for particular places for Mm -hmm. particular jobs and why that might like privilege certain groups of people from certain places to come. So anyway, just for whatever, for whatever it's worth around like that category of Asian, which is an ethnic category, you know, anyway. So yes. Yep. Yep. Um, always more background is better. <laughs> um, and then black women make 63% says the mm. same as native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander women than mm. 60% for American Indian or Alaska native women and 55% for Hispanic women. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can break it down all sorts of other ways, which they do as well, which I mm. really like um, appreciate too, because they also break it down by mothers in the workforce and like mm. the amount, because um, fathers actually tend to make more than the average white man, like a married man with children will make more money than a single man. Well, a, a married white so man when in you, particular. Married white man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In particular. Um, so then when you compare that to the amount that, um, a mother makes, cause mothers will make more than or make less than single women Gosh. in particular. Um, so then it just <sighs> like the gap gets even bigger. Um, in a lot of those ways. So it says mothers are 40% more likely than fathers to report that childcare issues harmed their careers. Sure. Um, 23% of working parents say they've been treated as if they aren't committed to their work because they have kids. Mm. And we know they have a huge report on here about how COVID affected mm-hmm. women in the workplace mm-hmm. and the hits that women took. And then particularly like women of color took because most mm. of the job losses were in lower income sectors Mm -hmm. and those jobs are predominantly women of color. Mm. Um, and just the huge differences that it made, um, because of the pandemic that have not recovered as much for Mm -hmm. women and women of color as it has for men and white women. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just so many ways to break this down, but then it also brought up issues that I had not really even thought about as a pay gap issue too. And the fact that women, um, because they spend less time in the workforce, if they take time off to have children or raise children, mm-hmm. um, end up putting less into social security. And so then yeah, when they sure. retire, they sure. get less money back right. than men right. who stayed in longer. So then retired women mm-hmm. have less income. And then the fact that women have two thirds of this country's student loan debt, which I did not know mm. either. And when you break down how much student loan debt is held by women just as a general category, and then looking specifically, of course, at black women, Hispanic women, um, black women have the highest amount of student loan debt mm. of any intersectional group. Mm. And so, that's just Ugh. the double when you're not getting right. paid as much you have more debt you have all of this other stuff it's just all of these it's compounding just, factors compounding, that don't exactly exactly there don't was come into play a great um episode a while back with Brittany Packer coming Cunningham on undistracted with Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. talking about that exact issue that student debt is actually an issue about racism and sexism and 
that it is so compounding. Like you can't get, we know that there's also gaps in homeownership for black and brown families and white families. And if you have so much student debt relative to your income, you can't get a loan, you know, like the, or your interest Mm -hmm. rates a lot higher or whatever it is. So it's all of these barriers that compound, like you said. And there was another stat from this website that I'd been looking at about the gap that's similar to this, like not just looking at an annual income or like hourly rate or whatever, but to look at the, the years of your entire career. And so they said, they broke it down this way that um, for white women, and I, I get frustrated with these categories because, and the same with the census, like to say black women and then to say like Hispanic or Latina women, which is what this graph says, that implies that there aren't Hispanic women who aren't black, but right. there are, right. of course. So mm-hmm. I'm not even sure like how that data, like where it, I'm sure it's connected to census data that people have to check some kind of box that doesn't necessarily reflect their experience or identity. But anyway, the white women um, over the course of 40 years make about half a million dollars less than men. And that for Mm -hmm. Hispanic or Latina women is listed here, it's $1.1 million less. Mm -hmm. So that you think Mm -hmm. about over the course of your entire career. And then of course you think about the wealth people passed on to their kids or the Mm -hmm. safety net that Mm -hmm. provides for their loved ones, for their family, whatever. It's just so fucking infuriating. The tendrils like the domino effect that something like this has um and this website also talked about like what we can do and you know they talked about laws and policies and whatever but they they end by saying like people need to stop being fucking racist and sexist like that's what's going to stop these systems and it like laws are just kind of masking not that again not that the laws are bad but if we think that that's the solution we're we're really misinformed because the deeper problem is this these patriarchal racist white supremacist capitalist yeah ableist structures you know yeah well and then you get into things like um some people say that like you can't necessarily call this like a wage gap when a lot of it is due to what's called occupational segregation or the mm-hmm. fact that women just mm-hmm. choose different careers than men do. But if you look <laughs> into just why women yeah. choose those <laughs> oh careers. My God. Oh my God. It makes me so yeah. mad. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. I mean, what are the issues? Like what we don't have childcare like that's guaranteed in this country. We don't have, you know, paid leave in order to protect women who go into the workforce, but still want to have kids. And so you choose, yeah, you do choose careers based on that, but it's not because there's, it's not based in this systemic sexism to begin with. And also that idea of choice just presumes like there's all these great options. And I just chose the one that called to me the most, instead of thinking like all the ways I'm socialized to think I'm supposed to be an elementary school teacher or whatever it is, or Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. let's say I do want to be a, a, coder. And then I am a queer black woman and I'm sitting in this space and people are awful to me all the time or whatever it is. Like, well, that choice, if you know that you're entering this profession, that's going to be horrible for you and fraught with things. It's not to say you still won't choose to do that and still try to deal with all that stuff, but these choices aren't real choices in so many ways. So that language of choice just, oh my God, it's triggering me more and more. Just, it's not 
Or like you said, yeah. let's say you did consciously deliberately make some choice that often it's because of factors that are structurally producing inequalities that you're trying to navigate and respond to and protect yourself and your family from. And so you're making these choices out of uh, like self-protection, not because it's some like great choice, you know, that you're so excited yep. to be making. Oh my God, it makes me so mad. Okay. Well, <laughs> now I'm sufficiently pissed about other things. So thank you. <laughs> Fuck cancer. Yeah, I mean, I think. Fuck the pay gap. And yes. Fuck the pay gap. And also like what this just completely leaves out as well is the unpaid labor of domestic work that's not even considered. A hundred percent. Yeah. Not even talking about like yes. the work that we just take for granted overall. Which we, is also ma- disproportionately like women and black and brown women. Yeah. So oh my god. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was illuminating as always and just so frustrating as always. But um we appreciate everybody listening. We encourage you to pay attention to elections that are gearing up wherever you are. We encourage you to show up to meetings. We will follow up with um, minisodes. I, for sure, I think minisodes are doable and hopefully maxisodes, yeah. which whenever I say that, all I can think about are maxi pads. That are from, <laughs> maxi like, pads. 1985. <laughs> Big old Kotex box. A little, <laughs> ugh, disgusting. Um, so yes, we will... Come back at you. And I actually, I'm, there are a couple different ways we can move forward. And I want to do both of these things. I just don't know what order, but I really do want to get into like the nineties white feminism and like riot mm-hmm. girls and girl power and all of that. Um, I think that's kind of an important chapter in this white feminism history that we haven't really explored yet so much, like less mm-hmm. policy driven and more cultural focus, like mm-hmm. pop culture focus. And then the other part that I keep kind of coming across and really, we've talked a little bit about it is um, the movement of third world feminism and thinking about alternative feminist models to white feminism that have been yep. incredible and are still operating. So we will yep. be working on that and we hope to hear from you on Instagram or emails. We really appreciate hearing from folks, even if we don't always write back right away. Thank you for reaching out. And uh, we hope everyone is healthy and well and enjoys their spring. Thanks for listening. Yep. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks, friend. That was really Um, great.